Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, January 31st, 2021, and we are in the series of messages titled Dialing In During Dark Days. This morning's message is titled Dialing In Discernment Partnership. Everybody say partnership. Partnership. Ooh. When you're thinking about partnership, I just want to take a minute and thank a few brothers on a giant island called Indonesia. It turns out that we have partners there. Geary, Stanley, Zandi, Nia, Yefta. These are men that are going to share the kingdom with us both now and in the future. They listen to nearly every message that comes out of this place and they are partnering with us on the other side of the world. Isn't that a good feeling? Yeah, I would encourage you to write down those names and pray for them because they are the future and the hope of Indonesia. Look, we, uh, we've taken to turning towards our dark times and kind of clinching with it at the begin of, beginning of every message. And this one, we're starting the same way. We're now governed by a political party that holds both houses of Congress and the White House. There are some disturbing trends of silencing and shaming political dissent. You've seen that through the treatment of Parler, the censorship that's going on on Twitter and Facebook. We won't go through those things again, but this week for the first time in our entire nation's history, a 31-year-old man named Douglas McKay was arrested for posting memes on Twitter. It's alleged that the memes caused voter suppression through the spread of disinformation. The man is facing a 10-year prison sentence. In other words, he made fun of the wrong people. His memes encouraged people to actually vote for president on his Twitter feed. Not to go vote, but to vote through his Twitter feed. Because that's a totally believable scenario that everybody would accept, right? This was in 2016. But it's being prosecuted this week. I wonder what has changed. In addition to this, there have been calls from across the aisle for political opponents to resign for calling into question the possibility of illegalities in our election process. And the constant inference is that in some way, they are encouraging terrorism. They're encouraging insurrection. And of course, they're encouraging white supremacy. There is presently, at this actual moment in time, for the very first time in any of our lifetimes, a permanent steel prison-style fence with razor, razor wire around our nation's Capitol building. Oddly, that Capitol building is referred to as the People's House. Now it seems that those governing by the will of the people want to at least appear to need to be protected from the very people that they govern. These are very dark days that we're in. This week we saw average Joe stock traders... Guys sitting in their boxer shorts, day trading, cooperate on Reddit to drive the price of a stock up. Well, their feeds were shut down. Their ability to trade 
was shut down. While the largest corporate hedge funds in America were not shut down, and they do it every day. Look, tech censorship is beginning to look a little bit like a George Orwell novel. Look, oddly enough, there's more fear and panic now while in the wake of a supposed victory that there was before the, they won the right to begin to govern our, our very nation. In other words, after the party in power won the victory, they seem far more nervous than when uh, the opponent was in office. These are strange times. We're going to continue to clinch with this just for another few minutes here. We want to let you know that former CIA director John Brennan recently said this threat from domestic violent extremists sounds very dangerous, right? This threat from domestic violent extremists is much more challenging than going after foreign terrorists. Domestic violent extremists are much more pervasive and their numbers are much larger than going after Al-Qaeda or other terrorist group. I wonder if anybody fact-checked that. I think so. The problem is the domestic groups have the numbers and weapons and wherewithal to carry out attacks. There might be a whole group of us in this room that just went to a class yesterday and you should understand that this is directed at you. My friends, the implications of those kind of statements is astounding. And that kind of speech is becoming commonplace daily from the highest offices in our land. I understand here. Listen to the nightly news. Don't listen. Could easily give you the impression that America is at war with its own citizens. No, 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 not Antifa, who is daily burning flags, buildings, and businesses. No, 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 of course not BLM, who is in monthly confrontations with the police throwing bricks and Molotov cocktails. No, the news is portraying the idea that war is brewing with the average citizen because they voted in a manner that the media doesn't like. In other words, you people are the problem. With political quips that refer to the need to deprogram their opponents. That's not a charged word. I mean, no. I've, the 1930s written out of anybody's history books? <laughs> deprogram? Huh. The persistent insinuation is that people are terrorists or white supremacists. And the constant retrograde assertion, assertion that we need to primarily define people by their race or ethnicity. How could we not agree that these are currently dark days? We're beginning to show signs that look more like the volatile third world countries that we so often do mission trips in. The reason we're clinching with this is not because a new party is in power. It's because something has shifted in the spiritual environment. Things that were inconceivable are now suddenly commonplace. Yeah. Those things that were inconceivable are now daily. 
You know what that makes me think about? That makes me think about that there has never been a time when we need to read a passage like Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 with any more joy or any more enthusiasm that we can have in our very soul. Turn with us to Philippians chapter 3 and see something that will bring joy, it will bring enthusiasm to your hearts right now here in this moment. Come on, say partnership when you get there. Philippians 3 and 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, yeah! That's it! And we eagerly await a Savior from there. Not from a party, not from a side of an aisle, but from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, in case you didn't catch it, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Church, I just got to remind you today that we are actually citizens of the kingdom of God. I just can't help but smile on the inside. Let's suppose that our biggest problem was white supremacists. Well, they're going to worship a brown-skinned Jew. There's no way around that. (laughs) Let's suppose that our biggest issue is that we need to divide into all of our various ethnic groups. Well, (laughs) we're citizens of one kingdom. We'll all be dressed in white, and we will all be one people, one new man. That's the whole point. See, the point is, is that we believe even in these dark days that they're under his control that he will work according to his purposes in them if we will work according to his purposes in them. Look, in addition to that, we believe that partnership with him in the kingdom is the only cause worth dedicating your entire life to. Church, this morning, we will be dialing in our discernment to understand what partnership with God is all about. Turn Turn with us to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, and we're going to begin in verse 5. Say partnership when you get there. It says this. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. (laughs) It wasn't the dream that caused the hate. The dream just caused them to hate him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had, guys. We were binding up sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, hey, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more again. (laughs) More, 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 more. (laughs) They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. So he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars, they were bowing down to me. Now, when you hear this, you've heard preaching about these subjects for so long. We want to show them to you in a little different light. This is really, in Joseph's life, the first inkling that we see of his consciousness of who God is. The Lord is communicating with him through a dream. How much he understands, I don't know yet. We know what happens by the end of the story. 
But you could call this a dream, or today I think you should think of it as a prophecy. And it's very similar to the gates of praise. It's when you find out, you become aware of how good God is and feel some sense of responsibility to that. Everything in life kind of begins with that first-time consciousness of something bigger than yourself, that there's a destiny. Yeah, looking at that verse, the very first verse we started with, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, there's a, a celebration of what revelation he received from the Father in that moment. By knowing the Father, he then was able to celebrate what the Father was, was showing him. And that was the beginning, the beginning of Joseph's discernment. And the beginning that was the understanding of who God is and what God wanted to do and what he wanted to accomplish. Yeah, see, you're hearing from this moment of prophecy in Joseph's life how the very beginning steps of being drawn towards a calling, being drawn towards something. It's not about you realizing yourself. The very first step is you realizing that there is a calling that is bigger than you, that there is a God who is in heaven and he has a purpose. And you're seeing these very beginning steps of being drawn toward a calling here in Joseph's life. Somebody say prophecy. prophecy. Our first passage is really about the prophecy and the gates of praise, an awareness that you must know the Father. Let's go to Genesis 37, 23, and we're going to read through 24. Say partnership when you get there. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. What we see in this passage is, in, is the next progression to the pit. See, he came from a place of prophecy, and the very next step that we see is he's now being thrown into the pit where some things have to happen in that place. Yeah, we're comparing this this morning to the very altar of sacrifice, that sacrificial altar. If you're in the singles class, you should remember this exact passage and talked about the things that had to be stripped from his life, those things that had to be laid down at the altar, those things that needed to be burned up, that needed to be sacrificed because of the place where he was. This is always the next step as you begin to dial in your discernment from knowing the Father. Then there is this altar time. So you start off knowing the Father. There is a kind of prophetic awareness that happens of how good he is. And then you end up immediately in the pit at the altar. This is where discerning of yourself happens. This is where Joseph is becoming intimately aware of no matter what that dream was, no matter, he's not able to do it. See, the crucifixion, the altar, the circumcision, the pit, it follows knowing how good God is and that there's a destiny because it shows you your inability to accomplish it. The pit is really the death of self-reliance. It's the death of any notion that you have it within yourself to accomplish anything before God. That is the place that every called man must come to, but it is not where he stays. Let's pick it up in Genesis 39, and we'll start in verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Consider this pathway that Joseph is on. First, there's these initiation of from the moment of prophecy. Then he actually goes down into the pit, and then he moves to the prison, to that place where in this moment you're actually seeing there's becoming a realization in his life that the Lord is with him, that there is something about this calling that is coming to life, and he's able to see it in a different way. He's able to experience it in a different way. Even as he stands here in the prison, we're going to let you know that this is more like standing at the labor. Yeah, I, I can tell that you don't get it, and that's okay. We're going to help you get it. When you say, hey, man, I was in a pit, but now I'm in prison, it sounds like I went from bad to worse. No, it's exactly the opposite. And see, the same misunderstanding occurs at the altar and the labor. People are like, it was bad at the altar. I was a sinner. I did all these things, and now I'm at the labor, and I have to wash. You're missing the point. The point is, is that you start off by knowing the Father, and that draws you. Then you come to an altar, and now you know yourself. You know what must change, what must die. Well, at the labor, there's a miracle that happens, and you can see that it happens to Joseph in the prison. In the prison, Joseph is still put in charge. He is responsible for everything there. This is where he is reminded that his calling didn't die in the pit. He died, but his calling lives on. This is where he's dialing in his discernment, and he's saying, I know who the Father is, and I now know who I am and who I'm not. He is putting on, you know, it's funny. I said prison, but I could have said prism. This is where the light of God is shining on all that the image Joseph will eventually live up to. You know, the laver in Israel, it was made of the melted mirrors of the women. It was meant to show you who God says you are. It's where the priests put on their garments. It is the last stop before you enter into very holy places. It's funny that this could be done in a prison. And I'm not suggesting I have a great deal of personal experience with this, but my wife was a convict. I'm kidding. She hadn't been in trouble since she dated me at like 13. There's not much in a prison cell except a mirror. See, sometimes God puts you in a place where you can't focus on anything other than what he says about you. At the altar, things die. At the labor, they're coming back to life in Christ. It's a miracle. Yeah, we call it, we call it the, the miracle of the labor. Because realize it's here at the labor and for Joseph here in prison that he is able to discern God's ability to renew his design. It's where you discern God's ability to renew your design. It cannot be obtained anywhere else other than here. This is where God brings it to light. In fact, this is indicated in Joseph's life in Genesis 40, verse 8. Let me read it to you. It says, we, had, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. See, he was confident in his renewed design. 
and what God revealed to him about him and his function. Church, as we're sitting here today, we've talked to you about some of these principles before, but this is such an important part. I'm telling you it's an important uh, concept in our own home. I can feel it in this room that we are talking about the labor, but the truth is, is that the miracle at the labor is what many of us in this room need today. Yeah. You need to understand you're drawn by the Lord. You're able to see what must be uh, crucified in you. And then you must rise and understand of what he has made you to be, what he sees you as, what he has called you to do. This is a revelation. This is a miracle that as you are dialing in your discernment, a necessary step is here at the labor. Look, while we're just off on this rabbit trail for a minute, that is not really a rabbit trail. Understand that it starts with him getting a dream. And then in the pit, his dream is dead. But in the prison, he not only believes that the dreams belong to God, but that for the first time, he can now interpret what that dream is. See, this is a process of dialing in. It starts with having an awareness of the Lord. It moves to having an awareness of what must die in you. And then the awareness starts to peak again. The Lord is putting on to me his abilities. He is giving me his understanding. He is preparing me through this process. Amen. Let's take a look at Genesis 41 and verse 12 to see how this continues. Genesis 41 and verse 12 says this. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. That's why he's not able to talk to you right now. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Catch this. He's now in the palace. We've gone from the prophecy to the pit, from the pit to the prison, not just having dreams, but interpreting them. And now we've progressed to the palace. See, this is a chance for him to have shaved off the old man, for him to put on the clothes of the new man. He's now standing before Pharaoh. This is the destiny of every Christian in this room that you're drawn to who God is, you then know what must die in you. And then you start to dial in to what he is making you, and then you end up in his palace. Look, this palace is clearly seen in the lampstand and showbread of the tabernacle. Joseph was quickly brought from a prison to a palace, now standing in a holy place. See, Getting to that point where you know who God is. Then you know who you are. You are then being led into what he wants done. And that happens quickly. Genesis 41:37 gives clear evidence of this in Joseph's life. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace 
and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Church, are you able to see this as we're talking here that the Spirit of God is upon Joseph? That the discernment and wisdom of the heavens has come upon them? Upon him as he's moved from the prison into the palace, right where the menorah and the table of showbread are. It's not that it happened quickly. It didn't. Many years have passed in his life. It's that the moment that he's taken from the prison to the palace, the change is quickly. Does that make sense to you? This process is elongated in a man's life. It's very difficult. And yet, when a season changes... It changes quickly. One of the things that we're hoping for in this congregation is not that we ignore sin, that we move beyond managing it, that we dial into who we are in Christ and start to actually stand in the holy place of the palace so that you can hear from the Spirit, from the Word, not as some poor miserable sinner. That guy died in the pit. What has come out from the altar and washed in the labor is somebody moving towards partnership with God. Take a look at Genesis 41 and verse 46. It says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Can we put verse 46 back on the screen for a second? Look at this, this phrase. Entered into the service of Pharaoh. The man has gone from a prophecy to a pit to a prison. Is now in the palace, but more than in the palace. He's in the service of Pharaoh. More than that. The next part says that he went out from Pharaoh's presence. Man, what we're actually seeing is that Joseph entered into partnership with the reigning monarch of Egypt. Partnership. That word partnership should ring some bells. That this is the golden altar found in the tabernacle. Where his will is our will. We have partnered with God of what he wants to accomplish. And remember that walking through the tabernacle. You begin with knowing the father. You then move to knowing yourself. You know who you have become in Christ. The man, the woman of God that he has designed you to be. You stand. The Holy, the Holy Word of God, then directing you. You are now in the golden place of being filled in with discernment and become a partner in what God is doing on earth. Fascinated with one over the other. Most Christians spend their entire life at the bronze altar of judgment, the Holocaust altar altar and it seems noble and realize how little dialed it is dialed into what God actually wants you to do the further you move through this process you find out that he's made you 
into a new man at the laver. That he is now with you and you with him in a holy place. His spirit and his word are leading you because he wants something. He wants you standing at the next altar, which is an altar, full of sweet-smelling incense, where you now know what his will is, and you are in partnership with him doing that. That is what he's after. Come on, somebody say, that's golden. That's golden. The whole point as we're walking through this is so that you can partner with God in prayers. That has got to start causing something to rise up in your heart. When I look at Ibrahim Zakari, I'm saying, this is a man who is destined to the golden place where God is partnering with him, where he's called him, where he's lifted him. When I see clay, I see a man who is designed to be able to die and get to that golden place where God is partnering with him. God is using him. God is to him, and God is empowering him for a special purpose. Come on now, you need to be hearing your own name placed in this. Amen. This is where we're going, and it's golden. Somebody say, that's golden. that's golden. Look at Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. While you're reading this, consider that believing the right thing, trying to do good, has got almost nothing to do with actually being a partner with what God wants to do on the earth. Yeah. Going to church all of your life, Teaching your kids some Bible verses got nothing to do with partnering with what God wants to do on the earth. All of those things are about knowing who he is and they're, they're step one. We're talking about progressing till your every action is in a partnership with him. You're going to see that indicated in Genesis 50 verse 20. It says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives so then don't be afraid somebody turn to your neighbor and say don't be afraid, don't be afraid. i will provide for you and for your children and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them church what you have to start understanding is the man that has been dialed in the man that is walking in partnership with God, there is no evil intention that can stop you from achieving what God has just partnered with you about. There is no evil intention that a slew of people can come and bring against you because God's intentions, I promise you, they are overwhelmingly more powerful than the evil intentions of those around you. See, this idea is that God is partnering with a man. God is partnering with a family. And what he's doing, it's designed to produce something. This partnership produces salvation. It produces the saving, not just of your life, not just of your family. It produces many lives that come in because of this partnership. Man, you should hear the reassurance in this phrase. You should hear that these are the kindest kind of words that can be spoken to you they're of divinity they are solid gold when you are partnering with God and you see that it doesn't matter this is why we've been clinching with the, our day and time the way that we have we want you to understand it and see the need to keep dialing in your discernment because it won't matter what their intentions are because the man the woman who has partnered with God they've dialed it in they are able to fulfill God's intentions and not have to worry about the evil intentions around them thinking of this as partnership is illustrated in verse 20 if you don't mind going back to that 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What's the next phrase? To accomplish. So did God come down and do something? No. God partnered with a man to accomplish what God wanted done on earth. What we're actually seeing here is a kind of prototype for the Lord's Prayer. Your will that is done in heaven needs to be done on earth. Your kingdom come from heaven to earth. This happens when men have known who the Father is, died to who they are, put on the deeds of Christ, and then heard from his spirit and word so that the next thing they're doing is in partnership with what God himself wants to accomplish on the earth. Somebody say that's golden. That's golden. That's the golden altar. You're not asking what the Lord's will is at that moment. You know what the Lord's will is. You have dialed in at the gates of praise. You have dialed in at the altar. You have dialed in at the laver. You have dialed in at the menorah, dialed in at the table, so that when you were standing in partnership with God, you are going to do His will. The goal for every Christian in this room has got to be that we arrive at partnership with God. Not simply belief in Him, not just trust that He can do things, not a general list of things Christians do and don't do. By the way, your lists are usually all wrong. Partnership with what He wants to do. Ephesians 2.10 kind of partnership. That He prepared things in advance for you to do and that you have to discover, you have to dial in and once you know that this is His will, all kind of great things come from that. Look, having arrived at that point of partnership, knowing the certainty of God's will, you're then free from fear. There's no room for fear to exist. Look, put back up verse 21. Let's see this. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Look, that confidence, knowing God's will, you know what it does? It's knowing that your generations are then provided for. There's a certainty that this is going to carry on because it is God's will and you are fully standing in confidence of it. You have discerned what God is doing on earth and you have partnered with him in it being displayed on earth. When you actually become a partner of God, it provides something for the generations. It alleviates you from fear. It makes you effective. I actually think we are to show you dials. Look, we spent the last several messages on this subject because we want you to get dialed in. We want you to start dialing in about everything that God has for you because this dialing in is a process. Somebody say it's a process. It's a process. But it arrives at a new understanding. As you walk through the process, as you continue to dial in and walk through the process, it gives you new understanding. It informs your actions, not only globally, but even in your everyday actions when you are in a partnership with God. Consider the man Daniel. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel 10, beginning in verse 12, then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding. 
and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. This dialing in is a resetting of your mind. It's the death of the natural mind of a man so that you can partner with God in supernatural ways. Do you want to partner with him? Yeah, do you want to partner with him in what you want to do or partner with him in what he wants you to do? It doesn't have to be a once a year kind of thing when you realize God wants you to do something. He actually has daily bread for you. He actually has something that he wants to partner with you in every day to bring his kingdom about on earth. Paul actually encourages the church at Coloss with these kind of words. Colossians 3 2 through 4 says this, set, everybody say set, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is not the type of thing that you can just, uh, what was the old Ron Papillo commercial? Set Set it it and and forget forget it. it. What you have to do is continually dial in and work through these. And we want to help you with this process. We want to help you to dial in. And we're going to help you with this process by showing you some slides. Listen, church. This is a way that is demystifying. It's taking it out of some strange realm where you have to channel something to figure out if the God of all universe wants to speak with you. There is a process that you can walk through. Is anybody like me and you need the help to figure out what God is saying? Is anybody being blessed by this process? We're going to help you. Let's take a look at this first slide. The very first dial that has to be set, the very first uh, adjustment as you're dialing in your discernment is here at the gates of praise. Thank you to Susie for the graphics here that we, we stole and put on this as well. Dialing in the discernment begins by you entering the gates of praise. It begins by you knowing the Father. Your very first step. Let's put this in practical terms. Pastor, this is coming up and I don't know where to start. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You know exactly where to start. You may not know exactly what he'll say yet, but everybody knows the first step. The first step is to dial in by going into the gates of praise. Man, do you feel the confidence that's rising in you? It's the first step so that you can know who he is. You are drawn to how good he is. You are drawn to his character. You're drawn to his nature. You're drawn to what he accomplishes. And that is the way that you get there. And you have to set that dial at the gate of praise. Pastor, I'm frumpy. Pastor, I'm grumpy. Pastor, nothing goes right in my life. In fact, I used to like what y'all did, and now I don't. I used to like my, my spouse, and now I don't. I used to think my kids were... You better set that dial. Okay? You just set that dial on a different channel, friends. You can tune in to who the Father is. You're going to have to set that dial. When you begin to set that dial and tune in to who the Father is, that brings you to the next dial. That's the dial of the sacrificial altar. Dialing in your discernment by beginning to know yourself. But realize this is a process. At that first one, the gates of praise, you are seeing who the Father is revealing himself to you as. And now coming to the sacrificial altar, you are knowing what needs to die inside of you. This is that next 
process of setting the dial. Here at the altar, the bronze altar, putting to death what God has revealed that you need to put to death. Dying to that old man, and this is that step of setting your mind on things above and not on the earthly things. When we see this at the bronze altar, there is that same cry that we just said about the gates of praise. You have to set this dial, and when you do this properly, it will lead you further down the path. You dial in to who the Father is. you got to set that dial. You dial into what must die in you. You have to set that dial. This takes us to the labor. Dialing in discernment by knowing who you are is not just at the altar. It's knowing who you are at the labor where you are putting on the new self. Knowing the you that God designed. Friends, sometimes you think in Christianity that you're supposed to be a completely new human being. And some of the language in the Bible looks like that, except I've never seen it done. Actually, you're the same human being in a completely new form. At the altar, I often try to die to being aggressive. But at the labor, do you know what I find? My aggression is actually now just focused towards the kingdom and we call it tenacity. You do not fundamentally become a different person. I mean, you, your, your hair doesn't change unless your hair was some way sinful. And I can't imagine unless you're United Pentecostal that could be true. Your eye color doesn't change. What you do with your eyes changes. What you see with your eyes changes. The labor is the transformation of a human being into the design that God always had for him. you got to set that dial. Yeah, Some in this room that I love very much are self-mortifying. You, you can't see anything good in your life. And when you do see something good, it's temporary. It's followed by just how you almost killed somebody today. And I'm like, what does that mean? Well, well, something almost fell on a coworker, but you didn't kill him, right? Like, why can't you set that dial? Look what God did for me that was good. He saved the life of a coworker today. You're going to have to set the dial. Goodness gracious, God is helping us today. Somebody say, set that dial. Set that dial. The truth is, is most of Christianity doesn't even get through these three dials. They never really start off looking for the Lord or they maybe stay at the sacrificial altar and they surely have trouble standing up at the labor. But we're going to set those dials this morning because as you do that, do you realize we still haven't yet gotten direction about what we must do? That's just us taking care of our own soil. That's just us taking care of our own perspective on the world. And then we get to set the next dial as we move in to the spirit and to the word to the menorah, and to the table of showbread. We've got to continue to dial that in. Now, now that you've dialed in the first three, you get to these dials, and it's really the first time that you're stepping in and going, God, what must I do now? Now that I know what I had to get rid of, now that I know who I really am, now what must I do? Do you see how most of what's called Christianity in our day and time never gets to this step? But not you, LCM. You're getting this and you're dialing it in. Now, when you've stepped through those first and set those first three dials, you're able to stand and say, Holy Spirit, 
I am a son, and sons are led by the Spirit. I don't have to guess at what I must do. I know that your Spirit will speak to me, that your Spirit will illuminate the path, that your Word will confirm it and cause me to be effective in what I'm doing for this kingdom. You have to have the Spirit and the Word directing you. This is how you set that dial. Is anybody in here want to set that dial in this area? See, God is going to help you to do that today. He really is helping us dial in our discernment. The next dial to set is found at the golden altar. What kind of altar is it? Golden. Here at the golden altar, what we've been saying all along this morning, it's a partnership with God. It is here that after having known him, after knowing who you are in him, knowing what he wants done is found at this place at the golden altar. Setting our dial to God's will and knowing confidently what he wants to have accomplished inside of us, through us, here on earth as it is in heaven. The golden altar, you know what God's will is in your next step. Friends, think how rarely you have been at the golden altar. Has it taken a crisis to get you there? Does it take something that is so far outside of your control? Because we're supposed to be walking through this process daily so that the majority of our actions were actually directed by God. You can get there. You just got to set that dial. Okay? And the more you do it, the more you will enjoy the next one, which is the throne. See, dialing in your discernment at the golden altar brings you the incense from the altar goes into the very room that was the holy of holies this brings you into partnership with god's rule on earth that's that's an extraordinary thing when you when you say thy kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven well you are now participating in that not in some abstract way actually in your action because he is telling you what to do next and you are doing it which advances his kingdom most of the christian life is unfruitful because it was not actually directed from his throne most of the christian life is actually us doing what we think what we like what seems good maybe from a good motive and hoping that god was somewhere in it despite all of the evidence and that's a very unsatisfying life that's a life that makes you either capricious or God capricious, fickle, not knowing what is going on in your thoughts. When he actually shows you what he wants and you do it, it always bears fruit. It's always good. It's always worth doing. And we want you to know that kind of joy. You can actually extend his rule through your partnership with his throne. You just have to set that dial. Do you want to set that dial? Yes. Have you heard we've been talking about a few kinds of dials? Church, we've actually talked to you about seven dials. And these seven dials provide the combination to the very treasuries of heaven. We want you to think about this as you're dialing these in. That way your efforts can have effect. That way your, your very... Uh, your very actions can have some type of accolades from the heaven when you set these dials. 
Look, if you're not being effective for the kingdom right now, you got to figure out and you got to dial in. You got to figure out, let's go back and we know which one the first one is. And we go back through it systemically. We work through it and see what our dials are set on. Have we set them rightly? Because if we do, you get to unlock the treasuries of heaven. Come on now, that needs to move your soul here today. Look, let's go to Isaiah chapter 33. Verse 6, as you think about opening the very treasuries of heaven. Isaiah 33, 6 says this. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I want you to notice here in this passage that it starts off by letting you know that all wisdom and all knowledge, that all discernment begins, it starts off with having the fear of the Lord. What is that telling you? That's telling you that first step of dialing in to making sure that you have a fear of the Lord. You have entered the gates of praise. You understand who he is. But I got to tell you something. That's just the beginning step. It's not the end step. What you want to do is you have to start there to be able to find all wisdom, all knowledge, all discernment. God has it for you so you can dial it in. We've been preaching for 49 minutes and uh, some of you were having trouble holding your attention and I get it. Maybe we should light off fireworks or something up here. Or we could just sit here and play Candy Crush. That certainly has captured the imagination of a nation. One of the problems with saying the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure is not that it's not true. It's that Christians have so simplified all this that what we say is like, all you have to know is you got to know him. What does that mean? Does that mean know who he is? What does that mean? Does that know, know what he likes? Does that mean that you found out what pleases? How well do you want to know him? See, the key begins with fear and reverence of the Lord. That is the gates of praise. But it does not end with fear and reverence of the Lord. If you never progress to know what needs to die in you, well, then you just are no different than a demon. A demon can actually say there is one God who is above all, and James says that. If you do progress to the altar, well, that's exciting because you now know what needs to die in you, but it doesn't actually die. That's the issue. You also have to dial to the next key, which is to put on Christ. Otherwise, you're no different than a Mormon. You're no different than a Jehovah's Witness. You're just a person trying to be moral that cannot do it. See, it starts with the fear of the Lord. But could you put the picture of the vault up again? How many locks are on this vault? See, this, this treasure of all the wisdom and all the knowledge of God, it has many keys. Fears is just, fear is just the first one. Reverential respect of the Lord ought to lead you to examine your life. Examining your life ought to come you, bring you to a conclusion that only God can put things on you, but He wants to. And that causes you to see yourself differently and want to be led by His holiness and His word. And when you have been led in some way, you're excited that you are now a partner with him and what came from his throne is now displayed in your life. 
That is a treasure. It's not a treasure to simply be able to repeat half of this verse. All of you can repeat half the verse. How many of you can name things that you partnered with God in last week and you're certain of it? See, you ought never have a day where that's not true. Ought never not. I'll get all the double negatives out there. We'll move to double positives now. (laughs) Yes and yes. Do you realize how golden what Pastor Eric just shared with you is? I mean, the picture of that vault, it, it says everything. That there is an answer of how to access what's inside that vault. I think other than who is Melchizedek, one of the greatest questions I hear is, how do I hear from God? And the answer is right here in front of us. And we have access to it. When you think about that vault, if you skip any one of the steps of that combination, can you open it? No. You have to go in those steps. That is the answer that gives us access. Because there are seven dials that are the combination to that very treasure. And we have the answer of how to get to that treasure. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13 and look at verse 52. Say, set that dial when you get there. Set that dial. Set that dial. Oh, yeah. Set that dial. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Come on, in light of what we're saying to you today, this should start to click in a different way. See, if you want the treasuries, if you want the treasures of discernment, then you're going to have to get the combination to the treasury correct. You're going to have to dial it in and set that dial. The goal of the entire process is not that you're just saved by God, not that you are just loved by Him. Those things are always spoken by infants. I'm just being honest. Spiritual infants, tadpoles, they may grow into something one day, but not there now. The goal is to partner with God in what He wants done on the earth. You want to be an extension of his reign, an extension of his rule. Your partnership with him ought to further his purposes on the earth. There is no Christian anywhere called to do nothing. And you don't get to choose your things you do. They're supposed to flow from his throne. And this changes people from impotent Christians to powerful Christians. Look, we want you to consider how the book of Revelation speaks about being an extension of his rule and reign. Turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 26. Partnership. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He. Everybody say he. 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 Now, to understand the right and proper context of who this he is in 27, it is speaking to verse 26, to him who overcomes. It is that one who has partnered with God's will. So he, the one that overcomes, will rule them with an iron scepter. He, meaning the one who overcomes, will dash them to pieces like pottery. 
Just as I receive authority from my father, I will also give him, meaning the one who overcomes the morning star. Come on, the one that's been dialed in and is partnering with God has this ability given to him from the heavens. Look at Revelation 3.21. It continues with this thought and adds a beautiful piece to this. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Now, you may not have realized that this is actually what Jesus is saying. To be able to sit with him on his throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear. He who is dialing in their discernment. Let him be dialed in to what the Spirit says to the churches. This idea that as you are progressing and dialing in, your discernment gets there. You get to the golden altar and you are partnering with God. And the goal is for you to be able to sit with Jesus on his throne. Why? Because you've partnered with him. You have accomplished what his will is and he seats you with him in the heavenly realms. You can sign a decision card and raise a finger at some televangelist meeting if you want and believe that it is a ticket to heaven. I find the whole idea as carnal as anything could possibly be. The goal of the scripture is actually that you have authority over the nations. Say, no, 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 no. Jesus has authority over the nations. You didn't listen closely to what Pastor Matthew read. Revelation 2 says, just as he was given authority over the nations, he gives it to you. In fact, you were the one that he's speaking about in Revelation 2. In Revelation 3, he says, just as I sat on my father's throne, you will sit with me on my throne. The goal is to partner with Jesus in the same way that Jesus partnered with the father. And Jesus and the father were one which should make you and Jesus one, and by extension, you and the Father one. One kingdom, one purpose, one partnership, you're going to have to dial in. Amen. This process is seen throughout the Word, and it is the reason that God's people were seen as different. I mean, you know, we put on law firms who the partners are. Yours ought to say, partnered with God. We are different. We are set apart. We are so unique not to be seen as undocumented workers, but we are actually alien, almost extraterrestrial in the sense that we are supernatural plants on this planet who are colonizing it for the kingdom of God. Can we read to you from Deuteronomy 4? We're going to move as fast as we can through these so as to not strain your patience, but not so fast that every man, woman, and child in the room doesn't get what we're saying. We're talking about being dialed in. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 6. Observe them carefully, for this will show, what's that next word? Your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this nation is wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us when we pray to him? The emphasis is that the other nations can see in this one nation that has partnered with God superior wisdom, superior understanding, superior relationship to everyone else. We are fine at pointing at Christ superior everything. But where we fall short is in understanding our 
responsibility to be a partner on earth displaying it in our own lives. Everywhere we go. That is, in Deuteronomy, the thing that set the nation distinct from all other nations. Let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 3. And verse 9 says this. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Look, Solomon was dialed in. He had gone through that process of knowing the Father, knowing himself, having the agreement of the Spirit and the Word, and he is setting his mind on things above and not the things on this earth. It's, it's evident in his request. Give your servant a discerning heart. Why? To govern the people, to be an extension of your rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. You could miss this easily. But Solomon was the most discerning man in history. That, that's how he's recorded. But the thing that we want you to catch is the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. See, it's not presumption. It's not arrogance. There is nothing wrong with knowing who you are in Christ, being led by a spirit and his word. Now you are confident of what you must do. Yeah. Not in the distant future, now, today, here. I know his will and it is going to be a con The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. Yeah. Look, this age is known by historians. This Solomonic age is known as the golden age. Somebody say golden age. Golden. Why? It's because a man, he stood at the golden altar and he dialed in a partnership with God and it brought yes. heaven to earth. It was a golden age. That is the kind of man that the Lord is pleased with, that a man did this. Consider what Psalm 111 and verse 10 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Somebody say beginning. 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 And all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. We see a mini little tabernacle picture right here in this one verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, but it is not the end of wisdom. As he continues to walk through, to follow through his precepts, led by the Spirit, instructed by the Word, into the golden altar of having good understanding, to him, to the one who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb belongs eternal praise. You see this picture here of the entirety of the process of dialing in to get to a partnership with God. Beginning, not ending. You begin somewhere, you follow it all the way through to the end. I don't know how many of you were in high school and had a problem with a combination lock. Today in our safe zones, they probably don't have that. Probably somebody comes and opens it for you so it doesn't hurt your self-esteem. But somewhere around the sixth grade, usually people, they, they, have to, they have to undo a combination lock for the first time in their life. And all their friends are standing around watching. And because... It was normal humanity. You made fun of whoever couldn't do it. Okay. Nobody wants to make fun of anybody in this room. The things that we're talking about are the key to understanding your very purpose on the earth. Not just talking about it, but performing it. And it starts with fear of the Lord, but it ends in partnership with his throne. Amen. In John 7, you see Jesus as the perfect partner of the Lord. John 7 verse 16 Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. 
Do you hear how he only received from the Father and then performed it? That's, that's if anyone chooses to do God's will, see, it's a choice. You got to dial in, you got to set that dial. If anybody chooses to do God's will, he, the man who made that choice, will find out whether my teaching comes from God. See, partners recognize other partners. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him, he is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus was in partnership with the Father. We are in partnership with Jesus. When you start to dial in your discernment, it's easy to see who is partnering with the Father and who is not. See, it's about His honor, not your honor. That's true. It's about His truth, not your version of it. It's about His reign, not your kingdom. Partnership with God is about extending His kingdom on earth through your actions that were derived from Him. Come on, somebody say partnership. Colossians 1 and verse 9 says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Can somebody say dialing in? Dialing in. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you may get to partner with him and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Oh my goodness, it, doesn't, it just doesn't mean that you dial in one time, you continue to grow in it. You're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the father who has qualified you he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light church you should be hearing this the partnership process this is what your pastors and elders are praying for you about we don't stop praying that god to Fill you with dialing in his discernment with, so that you can understand all spiritual wisdom, all spiritual understanding. Because we want you to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. We want each of you to have a partnership that is divine, that is golden, yes. that allows you to stand at the throne and know that you are accomplishing his will. That know that you are empowered. You're bearing fruit. You're bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you got to dial that in, church. you got to be growing in the knowledge of God. Yeah, pastor, I'm dialing it in. Yeah, dial it in some more. Grow in that. Strengthen. Why does God strengthen a man? Because he's in partnership with that man. When you are in partnership, you have the strength of the heavens with you so that you have great endurance. You're not going to become too weak. You have endurance because you've partnered with him. You don't have a patience problem because you've partnered with God. And there is a gratefulness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Come on, you want to talk about somebody who is qualified to share in the very inheritance of the saints. Look, I, I, in any room this size and all with people that we love, various stages in, in, in your discipleship, in your love for the word and all those things, um, you might be hearing different things. 
I'm going to throw a bone out there for those that are graduate students, for, for, for those that actually are, are wanting to excel. And I hope all of you think I'm talking about you. You just heard seven markers of whether you're dialed in. Number one, are you bearing fruit? Number two, are you growing? Number three, do you feel strengthened? Number four, you marked by endurance. Number five, do you display great patience? Six, does joyful gratefulness flow out of everything that you do? Seven, are you actually the inheritance of God? See, we've had generations of pitiful preachers telling us the goal of God is for you to simply go to heaven. Your inheritance is that you actually participate in his rule. Your inheritance is that what starts at his throne extends through your life and you end up sharing the throne with the Father the same way the Son does. Everything that Jesus Christ is, he allows you to become. When he appears, you are like him. Those are seven marks that let you know if you have the combination to the safe right in your life. Now, if you find that one of those dials is set wrong. You've got the old 80s briefcase and it just is not opening for you. Maybe we should figure out which dial and set that dial. Let let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 4 that brings us uh, into more light. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live. We instructed you how to set your dial. In order to please God. Isn't that reflective of what we read earlier in Kings? How Solomon pleased God because he was setting his dial and partnering with God? As in fact, you are now living. We can say this about you, church, but there's more that we need to read and understand. Now we ask you, we pastors ask you, church, and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. That there's a necessity to continue to set our dials so that we can reach that part of partnering with God's throne. Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. In other words, it is God's will that you should be dialed in. It is God's will that you should be set apart. It is God's will that you should be in perfect partnership with him. It's our last scripture. It's the last moment that we want to talk to you about this subject. And if it wasn't enough, then God will have to make it enough. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Do you want to set that dial? Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. See, it's actually only the first two steps in the whole dialing and process that have anything to do with sin. Knowing who God is and knowing who you are so that you can then transition to everything else, which is what you become. A life of sin management is actually a pretty pathetic, miserable existence. I don't even like to be around people that are doing it except to set them free. Partnering with God is a beautiful 
experience. He says, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. See, when you're done with the altar, you are no longer living for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Your entire life about the will of God. Not a concept like, oh yeah, I want the will of God. Every deed in your life about the will of God. Every day of your life about the will of God. You want to know if your discernment's dialed in? Well, pastor, I think I'm doing pretty good with my discernment. Are you bearing fruit? Because God's word doesn't return void unless you presume it and it wasn't him. God's word doesn't return void. doesn't mean I can throw a Bible out here and it will simply do something. It means that standing at the golden altar preaching the word he told me to preach will do something. Are you bearing fruit or do you need to set a dial differently? Are you growing or do you need to set a dial differently? Would you describe yourself as strengthened? Or do you need to set a dial differently? Would you describe yourself as an enduring Christian? Or do you need to set a dial differently? Are you known for your patience, for the prophecy that goes to the prison? the palace to partnership are you patient in what God has said or do you need to set a dial joyfully you need to adjust a dial out the combination to the whole thing the seventh dial do you understand that you are actually the bride of Christ to rule with Christ not in the future just Now, through your daily action, everything that Messiah is, you are called to be now. Do we need to set a dial? There will not be a big We've been preaching for weeks. Today, you either are walking in the discernment of heaven because you've been adjusting your dials along the way and you are confident of it. You're a new person in Christ that you can feel the victory. Or you still need to set those seven dials. And when you do, you'll bear fruit, you'll be growing, you'll be strengthened, you'll have endurance, patience, you'll be joyful, and you will become the inheritance of God, His kingdom on earth. Stand to your feet with us today, church. Today, this altar time, as as you've just heard from Pastor Eric, is a commitment to set that dial that needs to be set inside of you. The whole goal of what we've been doing is walking you through to this point so that you can partner with God and achieve exactly what He has. Come on, raise your hands to the Lord now. Mighty God, we're asking you to help us set those dials inside of us that we can walk through this process, Lord, and achieve your great purposes on this earth. 
that your kingdom may come, that your will may be done with us. Partner with us, mighty God. Lord, we want to partner with you as we dial in our discernment, as we dial in our partnership, mighty one. Lord, that we may be empowered, that we may rightly achieve what you have and literally sit on the throne with you as you have achieved what your Father has said. Lord, that we may be those who overcome, who are able to rule with you because we've partnered with you. Lord, empower your people today to set those dials.